All right, everyone. Welcome to the Nielsen Show. Let's start off with some good jams. Brass against. Because what I'm about to talk about today is probably going to ruin your day. <laughs> uh, that's not my intentions at all, but, uh, hey, you know, we talked the, the full truth around here. So we're going to talk about inflation and what it means to you. But first, let's get some jam on here with uh, Brass Against. All right, all right, all right, let's get to it. Well, so far, let's see, let's check on the national debt clock, shall we? Oh, let's see, we're only at 28 trillion, 517 billion, 573 million and counting. <laughs> Uh, that's just for the national debt clock. Luckily, there's a lot of other countries that aren't too far behind us. <laughs> well, I don't know. China's second in line. They're at $8 trillion. Uh, So I don't know if this has gotten into a competition between uh, world powers or what the deal is here, but um, our public debt to GDP ratio is 100.43%. So basically what that means is if we're not putting people back to work uh, and more of them to pay taxes, we're actually spending more money than the government is bringing in. Um, so oh, all the way down here, it's pretty crazy that I would actually have thought Greece actually doesn't look too bad right now, but they're... Their public debt to GDP ratio is crazy. They're at 245.19%. Um, I don't know if you heard about what happened to Greece last time before the European Union basically bailed them out with loans. But they're not looking too hot right now. And I don't know if, you know, a lot of this could be from the pandemic, but it's not looking hot there. Definitely would not like to be in Greece right now. Spain's not looking too hot either. They're at 126.39%. Uh, Sweden's actually at 54%. That's not bad. Um, Turkey, the lowest on... Well, no, they're not the lowest. They're at 3817 but they're at the lowest national debt at only $258 million. So, well, 
they're somewhat doing better than us. But all these debt clocks of all these countries is just astonishing how fast those numbers are moving. Um, we looks like we show a GDP gross domestic product of twenty two. Wow, really that low? Twenty two billion two hundred thirty nine thousand. 823. Oh, wait a second. Oh, yeah. 823,239 million till 22 billion. Whew. 22 billion. And 136.17% external debt to GDP ratio. I don't know if that actually put us at like total of 230 something percent. I don't know how it works. Anyways, enough of that debt clock stuff. It's depressing. <laughs> uh, so with inflation, um, FinMasters has a pretty decent way of explaining it for dummies like me. How inflation works. Inflation is when you pay $15 for the $10 haircut you used to get for $5 when you had hair. <laughs> well, that's one way to put it, I guess. Uh, inflation is an economic term that describes a general increase in prices and a fall in the purchasing power of money. Now, I know that this pandemic throws a lot of variables into the situation, but the government ordering the, the Fed to print money and them just handing it out willy-nilly like it's going out of style can do two different things with that. You have people that are sitting on cash that aren't spending it right now because they just don't know what's going to happen, which is actually helping inflation not go into hyperinflation. Because when that happens, uh, you're going to start seeing uh, lots of goods fly off the shelf and nothing to buy with all that money you have. And that's basically when your money starts turning to Paper. Just that's all it will be is just paper. Okay, so it goes on. A little inflation is normal and even good for a healthy economy. Inflation becomes a problem when it grows too quickly. Money losing value at a rapid rate can lead an entire economy to spiral out of control. All governments and central banks try and control inflation with regulation and monetary policy. When when they do that. When the government starts getting a little out of control, if they just figure they can just spend money and spend money, and it's easy to do, it's not their money. All they got to do is just get everybody else on board and pass a bill, and whew, there it goes. All governments and central banks try and control inflation with regulation and monetary policy. Inflation is expressed as a percentage. So it shows a little diagram here and the rise in prices. So in 1950, you could buy a cup of coffee for 22 cents, while today an average cup of brew costs $2.38 for just a cup. Dang. So a falling purchasing power of money, a basket of goods that cost $100 in 1950 would cost $1,108 today. Inflation equals the rise in costs of goods and services. Inflation rate equals a percent increase or decrease in prices over a period of time. 
So inflation in action. Cinema ticket in 1967 on average was $1.16. Uh, I don't even know what the heck a ticket is these days. I haven't been to the movie in a while. Uh, let's see what it shows here. A car in 1967. Average price of $9,967 for a brand new car. Oh, that's what it says. Adjusted for adjusted for inflation, the average cost of a Tesla Model S in 1967 would have been a dollar sixteen. Oh, I was reading that wrong. So it had a price tag on it. So of today, of a, a Tesla at nine thousand nine hundred sixty-seven dollars would have been a dollar sixteen in nineteen sixty-seven. I guess, and it's got a little calculator across here. So actually. Okay, so actually, a Model S in 2021 is $78,490. But if you had that same Tesla in uh, 1938, would have been $4,208. It'd be nice if vehicles only cost that much, wouldn't it? Uh, it has a, a inflation calculator. So if in 1913 an item cost $100, then in 2021 the same item would cost $2,697.52 uh, with a cumulative, cumulative inflation of 2,597.52%. So if, if inflation rises slowly, it doesn't cause massive problems. But... Um, a lot of other factors when they're all pushed into the same equation causes that to totally diminish what your dollar will do. I mean, not too long ago happened in Venezuela where you couldn't buy anything because there was no goods because you basically had wheelbarrows of cash to pay for anything. Uh, which I did hear, though, that I think they were a country that's finally been one of the first countries to acknowledge Bitcoin which I don't know what good in Venezuela Bitcoin is because I can't imagine any of the poor people there have any Bitcoin. <laughs> so for the government to say, hey, you know, we can use it. We'll, we'll accept Bitcoin for payments here. Uh, the only people that are going to have that are the rich people. So I don't really know what that even means for that country. Uh, inflation is all okay. So this goes on. What causes inflation? Inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon resulting from and accompanied by a rise in the quantity of money relative to output, Milton Friedman. In simpler terms, inflation occurs when there's an increase in production costs or when demand for products and services increases faster than supply. Inflation can come about in many different ways. All these causes are most commonly classified into three main types of inflation. Cost push inflation. Prices increase when the cost of production increases. If it costs more to make a product or provide a service, the companies will pass that cost on to consumers by increasing the price of those products and services. Here are some things that can cause cost push inflation. And if you haven't noticed, fuel prices, for one, I mean, everything moves around in diesel trucks, diesel-operated powered trains, um, local, you know, supply trucks. Some of them might be gas, but most of them are diesel as well. 
So you start seeing the cost of diesel going up. There's a spot in products where they'll they'll spread it out for how much goods are being transported between trucks. But they add that on to the cost of your goods. Groceries especially. Um, even, even the transport of fuel to the fuel station. All that cost is basically, most of it starts with bad government regulations. Government regulation, increased regulation, often means added expenses for businesses that have to invest in new equipment or additional workforce in order to comply with new rules. Rise in business taxes. When the government raises business taxes, the cost of production, and consequently the prices will increase across all industries. Declining productivity. A workforce with declining productivity will work less for the same wages. This means that companies are paying the same amount to produce fewer goods. Increase in prices of raw materials. In case you haven't been to a lumber store lately. (laughs) If the price of oil rises, all industries that rely on oil for production will increase their prices to offset that rise in cost. Natural disasters can disrupt supply chains or destroy a production facility. This makes it more expensive for businesses to operate and they will raise their prices to make up for the loss. A scarcity of a resource. If a resource needed for production is scarce, that makes it more difficult and expensive for businesses that rely on it to operate. Overfishing leads to fish being scarce. That's why the price of fish is rising. Or will rise. I don't know if it actually is or not. Uh, Low unemployment rate. When the unemployment is low, companies increase wages to attract more workers. Production costs rise due to increasing wages and the company raises the price of their product. Increase in mandatory wage. When businesses are required by law to increase the wages of their workers, they will raise their prices to offset the added expense or cut hours and or cut employees. Let's move down here. Demand pull inflation. Prices increase when demand increases faster than production. If everybody wants to buy something that is in limited supply, they will be willing to pay more money for it, and the companies will charge more for the same product or service. Here are some things that can cause demand pull inflation. Government spending. When the government invests in infrastructure or hires people, people, money gets injected into the economy, causing prices to rise. Tax cuts. When a country lowers its taxes, people end up having more money to spend. Innovation. People love new technology and will pay more for it. If a product offers something unique and innovative, the demand for it will be very strong. Marketing. Strong demand for a product or a service can also be created by marketing alone. Think how the demand for Apple products is always high enough Oh, high even though their prices are way higher than their competitors. An unbalanced recovery from a downturn. If the economy is stalled by an external event like a pandemic, demand may recover more quickly than production capacity, especially if governments make stimulus payments. This may cause demand to temporarily exceed supply. A growing economy. When things are going well, people have jobs and they are confident that the good times will last 
they tend to, oh so when they have confidence and the good times will last they tend to spend more money and create demand inflation expectations inflation is nothing new and people actually count on it when you expect prices to rise in the future you'll buy more things now and an increase in the money supply when governments print too much money this creates an oversupply of money in circulation same goes for when central banks lower the interest rate and banks start lending out more money to people. Which also, the the bad thing with that is, is with these payments that the government has been giving to everybody, if they haven't spent that money and have been holding on to it, if for some reason all this money starts coming out into circulation all at the same time, it's going to cause some serious problems. Uh, low interest rates which is what we're seeing in uh, the housing market right now. Hopefully, if you're lucky enough to get in on that, do all I can. Low interest rates. When the interest rates are low, people tend to borrow more money, which means they have more money to spend. Which, not really, because you got to pay that back. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else they got here? Built-in inflation. When prices rise due to cost push or demand pull inflation, people expect higher wages so they can keep their lifestyle and standard of living. Higher wages make companies increase the price of their goods and services. This raises the cost of living and makes workers demand higher wages. Increase in the money supply and inflation. Most people will correlate government's printing money with inflation. An increase in the overall money supply can sometimes lead to both cost push and demand pull inflation. Money supply creates inflation only when the money is printed faster than the economy grows. Keep in mind that the money supply is not just hard cash, but also credit, loans, and mortgages. Monetary policy. When central banks lower interest rates, it's cheaper for banks to lend money. Banks will then lend more money to businesses and individuals who will spend it. More money being spent increases demand, which increases prices. The government cuts taxes, makes stimulus payments, or increases benefits. People may have more money to spend. If business taxes are cut, businesses can increase wages or hire more people. People have more money. They spend more demand increases, which increases prices. Now, there could be, I guess that kind of depends also as if you've got people going into these manufacturing businesses and working they're actually able to produce more of the goods that everybody else is buying. So there's kind of a, a little kink there that they maybe didn't add into the way that was worded. Exchange rates. When there's more money in circulation, the currency loses value in relation to foreign currencies. This makes imported products more expensive because now your currency has less purchasing power. The governments can also choose to lower the exchange rates to make local products more competitive. This will also lead to imports being more expensive. Uh, as a note, it might be worth pointing out that increasing the money supply only increases demand if the extra money ends up in the hands of consumers. Which we know a lot of times with all these uh, spending bills the governments do, it ends up in a few key people's hands. For example, in the wake of the 2008 recession, interest rates were very low, but loan criteria were very tight. This meant that the cheap money flowed mainly to the rich. As a consequence, we saw rapid inflation in asset prices. Rich people buy stocks and real estate, and much less inflation in consumer goods. Um, which we're kind of probably seeing right now in the housing market. 
uh, that are going out of the roof, especially here in Utah. I wouldn't even recommend trying to buy a house. Um, who benefits and get, who gets hurt by inflation? Inflation does not impact everyone the same. Some people get hurt by the fall in the value of currency, while others can benefit from it. Winners, the debtors, especially if their debts carry fixed rates, they pay their loans back in less valuable currency. Owners of land and physical assets, these assets tend to hold their value through inflationary periods. Losers are the savers. If the inflation rate is higher, get off the screen there, you stupid thing. Okay, there we go. I can read it now. <laughs> if the inflation rate is higher than the interest rate, savings are decreasing in value. Retirees on fixed incomes. If you have a fixed pension or interest income from investments, your income will not grow with inflation. Workers on fixed wage contracts. If your wage doesn't rise with inflation, it is effectively getting smaller. Borrowers with variable rate loans. Governments often raise interest rates to try and make their currency more desirable. That can push interest rates on variable rate loans up. Lenders of fixed rate loans. If you lent money at a fixed rate, you are getting paid back in less valuable currency. Uh, those who break even are workers whose salaries are indexed to inflation will not be adversely affected by inflation. And then it's going to tell us how is inflation measured. To measure inflation, we need to use a device called an inflation index. There are multiple ways to measure inflation, and that's why several inflation indexes exist. It's impossible to keep a track of price changes of every single product or service in the economy. That's why inflation indexes follow price changes of only a small number of goods and services. So the Consumer Price Index, or the CPI, the most well-known inflation index is the CPI. CPI examines the average price of a hypothetical basket of goods and services in order to see if there are any changes in the overall cost of living. Different items in the basket carry different weights. These weights reflect the varying importance of items in the consumer shopping basket. Having a roof over your head carries more weight than having a gym membership. The increase or decrease in prices of all the items when expressed as a percentage represents the inflation rate. So, what's in the basket of goods? Each country can use its own methodology, define its own basket of goods, and assign different weights to each item in the basket. This makes sense because people living in different places will have different everyday needs and priorities. The items in the basket change almost every year to better reflect the current needs and wants of consumers. Here are the main categories of the basket of goods in the U.S. urban consumers. Foods and beverages. Food you consume at home and outside of the home. Non-alcoholic and alcoholic beverages. Housing. Costs, associ uh, costs associated with owning or renting a home. Utilities, household furnishings, and maintenance. Apparel. Clothes, shoes, jewelry, and watches. Transportation, new and used vehicles, fuel, vehicle parts and maintenance, fees like parking and registration, public transport, medical care, health insurance, drugs, physical services, oh, physician services, dental services, eye care, hospital services, new nursing homes, recreation and entertainment, video and audio, pets, sporting goods, hobby supplies, toys, club memberships, lesson fees, books and magazines. Education and communication, tuition, educational books, postage and delivery services, phones, computers, internet, other goods and services, T 
tobacco, personal care products, laundry, legal services, financial services, funeral expenses. All right, so what's in the baskets around the world? Each basket of goods is calmly sorted by the main categories above, and in most countries, the items in those categories are the same. But still, there are some curiosities to be found around the world. Let's start with Germany, the price for a chimney sweep. Lots of dirty chimneys in Germany. Those dirty Germans. <laughs> Just kidding. We love y'all. India, cereal grinding charges. All right, I never even knew that existed. UK, dating agency fees. You lonely UK British people. Italy, pizzerias and places selling sliced pizza are listed separately. Must do a lot of pizza there. Uh, Japan, hearing aids, power-assisted bicycles, and knee supports. Just proof of how old the Japanese population is. <laughs> yeah, well, and they seem to do a lot with technology and stuff, too. That makes sense. Uh, South Africa, sandwich maker, toaster. Norway, package holidays. Turkey, cold tea. France, frog legs and snails, confirming all the usual stereotypes. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Uh, well, now we're back to Italy again. Dancing lessons and disco, because Italians know what's important in life. South Africa, automated pool cleaner. Germany. The price for a chimney. Oh, well, I'm back to the beginning. There we go. Uh, now we're to the speed of inflation. There are four main types of inflation categorized by their speed. They are creeping, walking, galloping, and hyperinflation. So creepy infla creeping inflation is labeled the good one. This is when the inflation rate rises up to 3% each year. It is good for economic growth since it drives consumers to buy now and avoid higher prices in the future. That boosts demand while production wages have enough time to keep up. Walking inflation. This is when inflation is still in single digits between 3 and 10% and lasts for a longer period of time. Inflation usually becomes a cause for concern when it goes over 4%. This type of inflation is damaging to the economy because consumers start buying way more than they need in order to avoid higher prices in the future. When that happens, the production and wages cannot keep up. Producers will increase their prices due to higher demand, and because the wages are not growing, people will not be able to afford some goods and services. Now we're to the galloping inflation. This is when inflation rises above 10%. At this rate, inflation becomes a serious problem and is hard to control. Money loses value at such a rapid rate that the wages have no chance of keeping up with the prices. It has huge adverse effects of the population of a country, especially the poor and the middle class. In order to control galloping inflation, countries need to adopt strong fiscal and monetary measures. Well, that don't sound like our country at all. Um, hyperinflation. We're getting to the scary one. When inflation reaches 50% a month, over 1,000% a year, it is called hyperinflation. This is the most extreme form of inflation, and there have only been 58 episodes of hyperinflation in recorded history. Prices rise several times in a single day. Something that costs $10 in the morning could cost $100 when you finish work in the afternoon. Money is becoming worthless at such a rate, the government has to print money in large, larger and larger denominations. You can end up paying $150 billion, <laughs> billion Elon Musk's current net worth for a loaf of bread. Prices rising at such a devastating rate 
leads people to start hoarding goods, leading to shortages of everything. In most cases, people will face severe food shortages, savings, investments, and pensions become worthless because of the fall of the purchasing power of money. People stop using banks, which leads to banks and other lenders going out of business. The collapse of the whole monetary system is inevitable. Uh, sometimes you got to wonder if that's kind of what some of our politicians' plan is in the in the end of this. But realistically, I don't. It's not going to do them any good either, because it's going to basically make you know make their money worthless as well. So I don't. I don't know what the end goal is with all this crap, but it's it's kind of ridiculous. So we're going to take a little break here, and we're going to come back to. Uh, is the Fed really printing as much money that seems like they are? We'll go into an article on that and see what it says in a moment. All right, we'll start off this last segment here. This one is, uh, who is it? Collaborativefund.com. The Fed isn't printing as much money as you think from March 8th of this year. It goes here to say the risk of rising inflation over the next few years is probably the highest it's been in decades. Inflation happens when too much money chases too few goods. And COVID-19 closed a lot of businesses and gave people an unprecedented amount of money. The stars align. That out of the way, let me cool things down. The Fed is printing a lot of money, but not nearly as much as it looks. And then there's a chart here that says it's scaring the dickens out of people. Um, I really don't understand how to read it here exactly. Um, It shows, I guess, billions of dollars being printed. Which I guess it's over eighteen thousand billion. I don't know how it's kind of small. I can't really read it that well. Uh, it looks unbelievable. Money supply has increased from four trillion a year ago to eighteen trillion today, a three hundred and fifty percent increase. That's something you might see in a third world country with hyperinflation. But before you dump life savings into gold and build a bunker, here's the punchline. The huge majority of the increase you're seeing in this chart is not money printing or new money creation. It's an accounting rule change. Here's what happened. The supply of money is measured a few different ways. M1, which this chart shows, measures money that's readily available. Mostly paper cash, coins, and checking accounts. Another measure called M2 is a little broader. It includes money in savings accounts and retail money market accounts. The difference between a checking and savings account is how often you can access your money. That might seem trivial, but explains most of what happened in this chart. If you put money in a checking account, regulars make banks set aside a cushion as reserves in case they get into trouble. But if you put money in a savings account, regulators tell banks they don't have to reserve anything. Catch is that only it's only considered a savings account if the consumer is allowed to make no more than six withdrawals per month. It's worked that way for years. But the COVID hit and regulators realizing that having trillions of dollars in savings accounts with limited withdrawals was a burden as 22 million people lost their jobs. So last April, the Fed changed the rules and eliminated the six withdrawal limit on savings accounts. It wrote, the interim final rule allows depository institutions immediately to suspend enforcement of the six transfer limit and to allow their customers to make an unlimited number of convenient transfers and withdrawals from their savings deposits at a time when financial events associated with the coronavirus pandemic have made such access more urgent. 
It was an obvious and nearly risk-free way to help people. Just let them have easier access to their savings. But it changed the relationship between M1 and M2. Saving accounts are measured in M2 and left out of M1, but once the six withdrawal rule was removed, every savings account suddenly became, in the eyes of regulators and people who make these charts, a checking account. So M1 exploded higher. Not because the Fed printed a bunch of money, but because trillions of dollars in savings accounts were reclassified as checking accounts. How much money are we talking about? The Fed explained in a footnote that I'm sure no more than seven people read. <laughs> uh, recognizing saving deposits at a, as a transaction account as of May 2020 will cause a seri serious break in the M1 monetary aggregate. Beginning with the May 2020 observation, M1 will increase by the size of the industry total of savings deposits, which amounted to approximately $11.2 trillion. Of the $14 trillion increase in M1, $11.2 trillion came from an accounting rule change that shifted money from savings accounts to checking accounts. That's why M2, which is more comprehensive than M1, has increased by $11 trillion, less than M1 over the last year. Two things stick out here. What else are we missing? What other data points look straightforward, but when dug into, reveal themselves to be more complicated than we imagined? It has to be dozens, hundreds, thousands. COVID-19 has broken the relationship and long-standing correlations across all kinds of economic variables. Forecasting is always hard, but it's harder now. Well, that makes me feel a whole lot better. <laughs> uh, not really, but... Hey, you know what? I guess uh, realistically, we just got to keep pushing forward. Um, we can't count on our politicians, I, I don't think, to make good decisions for us anymore. It doesn't seem like. Um, I don't know what the answer is or where this is all headed. But you can definitely tell when you go to the store to go fill up. I mean, gasoline is obviously going to be a supply and demand thing. Uh, but policy does push that demand and you know if we're not if we're killing jobs here in america that could be doing our own drilling and i get it from the left because that's what their agenda is they want us to get off fossil fuels which is going to be a total disaster in its in its entirety until we have something better because solar panels and windmills folks just ain't going to cut it um so i think we're going to come out and this off with that i appreciate everybody for listening Hopefully we'll catch you on the next episode as soon as I can get to it. And I hope everybody has a good rest of the week. Thanks for listening to the Nelson Show. Subscribe if you can. Pass it on if you want. And we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for joining us.